Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. Welcome to Chats with Susan Burrell. And before we have this amazing conversation with this guest that I I am just getting to know. I wanted to remind everybody that my book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-day journey book, is available. And the month of December, we're doing buy one, give one. I invite you to buy a copy. And if you've listened to this podcast and you want in on that deal, then email info at susanburrell.com. Say, I just listened to this podcast then let us know and we'll show you how to buy one and we'll give you a second one free to give to a friend and maybe you can start your own book study with the book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey book. So with that said, Haley Hernandez, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here. I have chills. I have chills. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait for our conversation. So I just want to let everybody know how we met. So in the open again, close again, COVID experience, uh, my husband and I were wandering in Santa Barbara and we came across a a, a pop-up fair. And that's where I met Kaylee because she's doing some amazing work. And the more I talked to her, the more I thought, well, I need to have her on the show because everybody needs to know what you're doing. Um, So what she's doing is supporting artisans in Kenya. And there's some amazing uh, practical like sandals and purses and beadwork, jewelry that uh, is just gorgeous. And so as we started talking at this pop-up, I was like, Haley, you got to come on and share with everybody what it is you do. So would you share how you got started doing this? And then we'll talk more about what it is that you are actually doing now. That sounds great. Well, thank you for the perfect introduction, Susan. I (laughs) feel like I couldn't have done it better myself. So this kind of crazy business all got started a couple years out of college, actually. So while I was at university, I was studying international development, which is essentially like bringing the poorest of the poor out of poverty, however you choose to define that. And so I was studying abroad in Uganda, working for a family um, in a rural village and interning for a local nonprofit in the area. And I just knew from that moment on that this was something that I was really interested in doing. It was staying in East Africa and supporting really talented people who just may not have access to information, to quality markets, things of those sort. So once I graduated from college, I moved to rural Tanzania and then Nairobi, Kenya, where I was working for the International Rescue Committee. And there I was focused on, um, in Tanzania, I was focused on child labor issues. And then while I was in Kenya, I was working on refugee programming. So I knew that this was 
a part of the world that I was passionate about and um, was just ready to be out of the nonprofit world a bit. And that's kind of when Rojo got started while I was living and working over in East Africa. And, and it led me those experiences and really working with people on the ground and undering the context, understanding the context in which I was working and the people and their needs really helped me to um, develop a vision for what Rojo is now. So I got all excited when you said International Rescue Committee. I have been donating to them monthly for probably 10 years now because I so believe in what they do. So I love that you are you know, you had that experience, practical experience, it sounds like, mm-hmm. then to be able to support these artisans. So what does Rojo stand for? Anything? Rojo is a Swahili word that means spirit or kindness, which is what we say we're all about. We well, no wonder I had more. chills at the beginning of this conversation. <laughs> spirit or kindness. Okay, is everybody hearing this? Spirit or kindness. Now, is that alignment or what? Is that empowerment or what? So, my God, there's so many different tangents I want to go off on. So, with the mission being to bring the poorest out of poverty, mm-hmm. um, how 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 did Rojo begin to do that? The inspiration behind Rojo was really about bringing about meaningful change through beautiful products. So while I was working all across East Africa, I witnessed cyclical poverty, the fact that people are stuck in their relative positions um, during my nonprofit work. And, And I saw that nonprofit work is oftentimes driven by donors and what they hope to get out of a project and not necessarily what a community really needs in order to improve their relative situations. Um, and I just saw that there were oftentimes many communities that were stuck without many options and with fewer opportunities. So it was when I saw a pair of beautiful sandals in a craft market, I immediately was hooked and saw these as an opportunity to start a company, which we now call Rojo. And these shoes are beautiful. All of our products at Rojo are beautiful and unique. Yes, but I see our products as a vehicle um, to provide quality employment and access to new markets as a way to break, break the cycle of poverty. We call it a hand up, not a handout. I love that. I so love that. Now, uh, part of what I saw on your website is since you've started, you have been able to increase uh, the artisans' wages mm-hmm. so that they're not just making a, a, a low-level hourly rate. Is that right? That's correct. So typically, um, speaking, let's speak specifically about Kenya, just because that's where, you know, a majority of our products are produced. There are a number of people who are involved in craft markets, in um beading or leather work or wood carving, anything of the sort. And these people generally tend to be really low paid. These jobs are low paying because um, most of these people haven't had quality education. They haven't had access. Um, I'd say a majority of our 400 artisans that we're currently working with uh, have a middle school, the equivalent of like a middle school education or lower. Uh, One group of Maasai women we're working with about three quarters of them at at least are illiterate. Um, And it's just because these people haven't had access to quality schools. They don't have access to that education to help 
um, lift, lift themselves out of their relative positions. And so they're stuck with these jobs that don't get me wrong, re- require a ton of skill far more oh, than yeah. I, I could possibly do. Um, and these are just skills that, I mean, speaking specifically about beadwork, it's something that, um, is passed down, um, down the line, you know, mothers teach daughters and, and on and on. Um, so let so, me ask you, let me tease this out a little bit more, Kaylee. Um, so not having a quality education or, mm-hmm. or being illiterate closes the door into what other, what, I mean, what other kind of jobs could these people get if they had a, an education in Kenya? It depends on the area in which they live, but, you know, there are often opportunities in tourism. Um, You could work, you know, if if you had the opportunity to go to college, you could work, you know, you could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, you could, um, you could work in an accounting firm, um, just kind of in the same way you can in the U.S. The one thing I will say is that in Kenya, unemployment rates are definitely higher than they are in the U.S. So it is it can be more difficult to secure a job, but having access to quality education will automatically open doors for you, as opposed to if you just have never had any sort of training or, or education, mm-hmm. you, there's, there's a lot fewer doors that are opened. Many, you can't even begin to help yourself um, right. oftentimes. Right. So, and, and my other question is, uh, in in Kenya and other places in South Africa, are there are women? Is is this the same thing as what's happening like in the Middle East, where women are specifically excluded from education? Yes, definitely. Um, I don't. So the men speak get to go first. Oftentimes, that's the case, and it's you know, I mean, we could talk about this for days, but you know, at the end of the day, a woman, or I'm sorry, a man, is going to get paid better for any job than than a woman that happens here in the U S too. I think it just happens on a bit of a larger scale in Kenya. And, and so of course a family, let's say they can only invest in one child's education. They're probably going to invest in the eldest son's education. Um, especially because it's perceived as a duty, uh, in Kenya to provide for one's family. Um, and so in that way, in that way, it just seems like a more sound investment oftentimes uh, for a family to invest in in their sons first for better or worse, worse uh-huh. oftentimes because it leaves it leaves girls in young girls in worse off situations. And studies have found that the longer a girl goes to school, um, the better off her financial prospects, the better she gets married later, um, her children, she has fewer children and they're often, um, born in safer conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Uh when you raise up women, studies have shown and girls, then amazing things happen. And, and it really benefits a whole household, but that's just not the way that, um, things are always done. Yeah. It's still kind of, you know, we're watching, uh, this is just my opinion right now, Mm -hmm. but we've been watching all of the last several years, how the patriarchal paradigm is cracking and crumbling and mm-hmm. and you know there's still those those footholds where the patriarchy gets addressed first mm-hmm. and we're watching all of that like i said crumble and so i'm grateful that you know that you you're there 
you know, on the ground working with these women and supporting them in moving up the socioeconomic scale. Yeah, exactly. That's that's our goal is, you know, we're working with 95% of our artisans are women and we want them to be paid fairly because it gives them um, a higher status in the household. Um, obviously, mm. women are doing more um, household chores and things like that in the household to begin with. This gives them, this empowers them. This gives them a, a larger voice, a bigger seat at the table, whatever you want to say. And as they they have a safety net. So if mm-hmm. a woman chooses to leave a situation, she has the ability to do that. Okay. That, so that leads me to another question then, um, because I know in micro lending, which, which became really uh, viral, I don't know, 10, 12, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, um, micro lending for anybody that doesn't know was uh, where you could uh, invest in say women in a village in Kenya so that they could get goats to make yogurt or goat milk products and begin to build a business of their own. And, and the micro lending was focused on women because women were really, their priority was to raise their children, take care of their children, get their children out of the poverty situation into schools. Whereas oftentimes, I don't know if it was in Kenya, but lots of places when the man would get the money, if the, they got a loan, they would gamble it, drink it, spend it. And it didn't really go to the family. And they found that if they invested in women to build a business, that the women really uh, became proactive in bringing their children out of poverty. Now, it sounds like that's what is, this is is also doing what Rojo is doing. That's correct. So yeah, studies have shown that women will invest in a household, whereas men um, on a larger scale will invest more in themselves. And that's, you know, across the board, that's not a Kenyan thing. That's like a a global thing. And, and so for us, we thought, you know what, it's generally these women who are producing the products that we ourselves are interested in and let's, let's work with them. Let's ensure that they are producing top quality products that would work well in the U S let's make sure the colors and the sizing and things like that would work well with a Western market. So my job is a bit of translating what, what sells in like the U.S., for example, as opposed to what sells in Kenya, because they're very different. Um, and and let's work with these women to to have quality, safe, well paid jobs that are a means of poverty alleviation. Awesome, poverty alleviation. What a great phrase. And and would it it would be awesome if we could see that in all impoverished areas mm-hmm. that it's alleviated. Um, so the other thing I, I noticed, uh, is that there, you don't, you don't, uh, that all the artisans are adults. They're not children. That's correct. And I appreciate that because there's, again, so many areas that are taking advantage of little hands for no money to make things that get sold for a lot. And I appreciate that you guys are consciously aware of that. Definitely. Um, part of when I was working in Tanzania, I, w- I was working on a project that was working to um, reduce the prevalence of child labor in rural 
some rural regions in Tanzania. And to be honest, it's a bit of a pipe dream. And, and it's not like you can blame a family for sending their child to work if they are, they desperately need the money. Um, it's just that for us, we don't want to put a family in that situation. We want to ensure that like the parents are getting paid enough where you don't have to rely on a child. Um, education is extremely important to us. And so, um, for let's say our sandal artisan group, for example, we pay for our artisans children to go to quality schools in the area. Um, and that was a result of, um, a meeting we had with them initially where we said, how can we better support you? What does this community need? What are contributors to poverty that we actually can do something about? How can we help your relative positions? And, you know, our artisan group got together and they said, you know, education is going to be the tool to ensure in the long term that our children are better off than we are. And so we tie retention to the number of scholarships we provide for our artisans' children with this group. And the reason we do that is because it maintains, we maintain an institutional memory. So we're, you know, we have the same artisans coming in time and time again. And, um, and it allows us to sustainably grow as a business. If I was taking, you know, if we were taking on, you know, 60, 80, a hundred children right off the bat, we wouldn't as a small business that just wouldn't be feasible. We wouldn't be able to afford that. So as we are growing as a company year after year, it means too, we're able to afford to send these artisans, children to quality schools uh-huh. um, in, in, sorry, go ahead. Well, so my question is, uh, so is there a percentage of the profits that gets designated for scholarship? You know, regardless of whether we have a bad year or a good year or a bad quarter or a good quarter, those are our commitments to our artisans. So if I have to pay them personally, they're going to get paid. It's not it's not necessarily a percentage. Um, we build our giving directly into our business model in the sense that we are paying our artisans, all of them, fair trade wages or above. Um, so regardless of how things look and during COVID things haven't always looked pretty as a small business owner. Um, but we still are able to, um, our artisans can rest assured knowing that we are going to uphold those commitments. Kaylee Hernandez, what a spectacular one, a wonderful young woman you are. That's, that is because that's visionary, you know, that's a visionary stance to take that many, many, many businesses, especially uh, starting out businesses, don't necessarily hold that standard, right? That lots of people, when you start a business, are, are just trying to you know, hit their bottom line and make it work. But for you to hold a visionary stance, regardless, I, I think is commendable. So I'm commending you, Kaylee. <laughs> well, thank you. I just, I feel like I barely have it together most days. So I oh, just, um, I I, so I just appreciate that makes me, you made my day. Um, I will, I, I guess I'll say this is, you know, I didn't go into business to go into business. Mm-hmm. I, it never was something I had a passion about, although I don't mind running my own business. I like working for myself. It's, it's really been incredibly challenging, but also really rewarding. But you know, I got into Rojo because I met these incredible sandal artisans who just needed markets for their products. And as we've grown, so we started, of course, with our sandals and have grown to encompass four other artisan groups across Kenya. Um, and it's because 
there's huge untapped potential in this area. And someone needs to be the voice in a Western market to help translate that and, and share, share these unique, beautiful products and stories. There needs to be a transparency behind what we, what we do. And, and so, yeah, I'm not interested in doing business the way that business has been done. It just, that doesn't sound in, it hasn't, it's not going to work for us. You know, I want us to, I want our consumers um, to honor the craftsmanship that goes into the products we're making. Um, there's this movement called slow fashion and it push pushes back against wastefulness of fashion. Um, and Roho models, we model ourselves after the slow fashion movement. And it's this movement of designing, creating, buying garments and, and other products for quality and longevity. So in contrast, slow fashion, it encourages fast, I'm sorry, in contrast, fast fashion encourages um, faster production schedules. There's um, higher carbon footprints behind what you do. Um, and at Roho, we build products to last. There's, you know, you, we want you to know that there were hands involved in everything you do and in every aspect of a shoe or a bag or a piece of jewelry and, and that it's going to last you years and it's going to be a statement piece and it's unique and no two are going to look the same. That's what's amazing about them. Um, so yeah, we're not, we're not normal, I guess in that way, We, but, but I think that's what makes, that's what is both our Achilles heel, but also is the thing that, that makes people talk about us. You know, we wouldn't, if we were a normal business, Susan, we wouldn't be here talking about. No, no. And again, okay. I got chills. Oh, wow. You, this is also visionary. This is, this is where, you know, I think the whole COVID shutdown open again, closed again, uh, I was going to say a really bad word, <clears throat> garbage um, that was going on. It was because it's time to rethink how we do business mm -hmm. and, and doing business the way we used to in the Western world doesn't work anymore. That goes back to the whole patriarchal paradigm that, that that's crumbling. It, it just doesn't work. It's not about, you know, one person at the top that makes all the money while all the other people below work at slave wages. That, that's, that's like feudalism, ancient mindset. Oh my God, I'm having a hard time not cussing. <laughs> it's okay if you cuss, I, I do. Right, well, <laughs> but, but the truth is what you just said of, 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 knowing that hands actually made the product I bought, that it is going to have longevity no matter how many times I wear it. It's not going to come unraveled. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I buy some, I've, I have in the past, I'm really not buying a lot now, but um, you know, oh, that's cute. I'll buy that, you know, and after four or five washings, the thing's fallen apart and it's because it was poorly made. You know, I, I really try to put my attention on how is the product made? Because I want, I don't want the next latest statement. I want stuff that I can continue to, to wear and use. Things that will last. It, Things that, that are timeless. Right. And that it's timeless because it stays in fashion, right? Mm -hmm. The timeless exactly. pieces stay in fashion. 
Exactly. And you can wear them with everything. They're versatile. Um, that's really important to us as well. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, you know, our pieces are unique, but we want you to be able to dress them up, dress them down. Um, we want you to be able to use them for a variety of occasions. So you will use them for a variety of occasions and you'll rely on this one piece and not, you know, 10 others. Right. Right. Your go-to pieces. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the, so the website is rohogoods.com. And, um, and I want to encourage everybody to go and check out the pieces. I already saw like three things I want to get. Um, <laughs> but, I love it. <laughs> so, uh, but just go to scroll in your, and Kaylee's mission statement is on the site and you get to see some pictures of some of the artisans and the work that they do is really beautiful and unique. And who doesn't want beautiful and unique? I mean, I do. Agreed. Right. I'm a little biased, but I really like our product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that your, your vision and your intention and your commitment, Kaylee, to changing the world, starting in one small village with four groups of artisans is, is how, how people change the world. And I applaud you again. I applaud you for all. This is why I had to have you on so we could have this conversation because when I was looking at you at your products and we were talking I was like oh my goodness this young woman can inspire others to do amazing work to be honest I you know on a day-to-day -day basis when I feel like I'm putting out fires in the business or doing whatever I it doesn't feel I mean it's not very glamorous in any way shape or form but but it's in these conversations when people get it and you just I personally feel like this is so in integrity with who I want to be as a human and the direction that I want the world to move, that feels really important. And, you know, people understand what we're doing. There's this, one of my favorite sayings is by this woman named Anna LaPay. And it says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. And I want to create alternatives for people to cast a vote for the kind of world they want, a, a world's with many companies like Rojo in them, in it. Yes, this is why um, it, uh, on our show in the month of December, which we call the, the month of giving, we, my team and I did a whole, we did it the second time uh, for a second year, a show on nonprofits that we in, individually give to, just to get people awake that it's not about buying from big boxes. Mm -hmm in order so that there's something under your tree or your stocking or, you know, your Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating. It, it is about, you can, you can make a bigger difference by giving to nonprofits or buying artisan product products from Rojo goods, because you're, you're not just buying a thing or stuff. You're, you're supporting the people that make a difference in the world. And, I, I, I personally, that's my mission is to support local business owners. Um, I, I really try not to buy things from, you know, that gets delivered, uh, from a big box place. Um, I really try to go and meet the people that own the shops that do the, the buying for their specific store. So, uh, Kaylee, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to say before we 
close out? No, just thank you for your time. Um, and I guess if I could leave people with one thought, it would be just as you consider your purchases in the future, think about what and who you're supporting. And I know that, you know, sometimes, for example, an Amazon is easier to, it's so much more convenient or whatever, but if you can shift one purchase a week or one purchase a month, that makes a huge difference. It does. It does. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. So, uh, We've been talking with Kaylee Hernandez. The website is rohogoods.com, which translates to spirit and kindness. Who doesn't want that in the world? Oh my gosh. Kaylee, thank you again. And I'm just going to end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanburrell.com. You can... See all of the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanmorell.com. So that's it for today. See you next time.